if you want to be successful, this is what it takes. That the road to success sometimes is challenging. You haven't got room for being shy. There's too much at stake. All those little things. And I'd write things about what I was doing at the time. So I'd write like a, you can call it a journal, but I didn't call it a journal at the time. So this is my event. This is what I get if I deliver numbers. So make phone calls. Rejection. I would just look at why I'm doing what I'm doing and just get back on with it. Before we get into today's episode, we have a word from our sponsor, Mindset Shift. Have you ever told yourself, I don't think I can do this? They will never go for it. I'm not a good enough leader. The things you tell yourself that hold you back. Imagine if you could remove all those boundaries just by holding them up and actually looking at them, figuring out where they come from and how to tackle them. At Mindset Shift, that's what we do. We help innovative and ambitious leaders that want to make extraordinary things happen for their teams, for their business, for their culture, and for themselves. We help unlock their growth through actionable coaching, workshops, leadership development programs, or speaking engagements. We create foundational people over profit environments, the kinds where productivity and innovation soar culture, inclusion, and equity sit at the heart of operations. Are you ready to step out of the box and take your organization to the next level? Contact us today at www.mindsetshift.co.uk. Enjoy today's episode. On today's episode of Everyday Leadership, I have the CEO and founder of Get Hench. He's also the founder of A Thousand Black Boys. He's been in the, I guess, the B2B corporate and conference event industry for the best part of 20 years. He's a leadership coach, sales trainer, mentor, keynote speaker. He's also a Gunner fan, you know, so he's with me. Oh, the pain. <laughs> right about now. You know, well, being a coach really helps. But yeah. Oh, trust me, he's helped a lot with the mindset. I never say it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy enough to have the pleasure to call him a friend as well. Mr. Ademola Adeya, but how are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, Shopway. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, real pleasure to be on your platform. It's uh, it's done as our mind, to be honest. Like I said, we talk so much out, outside of the scope. I'm like, let's bring the world into what you do and the story of how you actually got to where you got to. And that story is... One that is always takes me by surprise, to be honest, when I was researching you and your come up. So let's weave back a bit. Let's go back to nine-year-old Ademola coming to the UK with your sister. How was that experience for you? Wow. I remember being super excited because in Nigeria, there was this big build-up to you're going to London. It's a big deal. And I, I think I, I seem to remember one of my uncles said, or somebody said to me that the streets in London are paved with gold. And in the mind of a nine-year-old, I took it literally. I was like, right. So we're going to find that gold. We're going to find the street where that gold is. And while no one's looking, I'm going to quickly just kind of go to the paper, kind of like chip off some grains and blocks. And then we'll find a way to monetize this gold that's in London. So I was super excited. Remember landing, arriving, I was wearing like a blue, like a, I call it like a blue outfit, like a top and trousers, smart. I still remember it. Like was Maybe that's why I like blue today. I remember landing in London and it was cold. I remember thinking, what? Got the wrong outfit for this country. Yeah, super excited. Really looking forward to it. 
I still remember we were supposed to land in Heathrow on our plane got diverted to, to Gatwick. And we had to wait there for a little bit. We waited with customs uh, while our family was coming to pick us up. Yeah, like super exciting coming to the UK at that age. And if I continue, so very, very quickly, I realized that it wasn't what I expected. It wasn't what I was sold. There was no gold <laughs> on the streets of London. <laughs> Still looking for that one. Uh, <laughs> and I do remember thinking, oh, the food is nice. The food is different. And very, very quickly, I, I put on like a bit of weight, like really quite quickly, because I was always, everything was new. I was like, oh, this is new food. I, I just kind of went for it. And then I remember just growing up and thinking that I'm lonely here. Because for me, I'd always been around my parents. When I came to London, I was with my parents. It was a realization that came to me that I'd never considered that I'd feel lonely not being with my parents. And there were times in that upbringing where things were very, very challenging. I'm not sure if we were to go into it right now or during the conversation, but I remember things were really, really challenging. So I remember that age, there were times when I started school and then the children were saying to me, hey, look, listen, I don't know whatever your name is. Like, yes, hello. See how you talk, yeah, and how we talk, yeah, that difference, okay, that's an accent. And as a nine-year-old, I knew exactly what that meant, and that meant bullying. So bullied in primary school, had to kind of literally fight for my place to actually be there, and something that I show people, and this is where initially the fear of public speaking came from, which I had to deal with. I remember we were in class one time, I still remember it. And the teacher left something on her table and she said, all right, children, this thing, I'm going to go to next door, this thing on the table, like, don't touch it. Do you know that's the thing that you don't say to children? You don't say to them, don't touch this thing. That's like, right, that's the thing we're going to touch. So Leon gets up from our classroom, goes and touches the thing now. And then he drops the thing and he breaks it. And all the children are like, ah. So me not knowing the... Like how things, like the, the process. So teacher comes back into the room. She's like, oh, who brought this? My hand went straight up like, because I'm a good Nigerian boy. <laughs> like Nigerian, like, you know, we respect the teachers. And if they ask us a question, we answer. Mine went straight up like, boom. Like without hesitation. Because I'm like, yeah, it's, it's what you do. It's like, yes, Adam. And I was like, yeah, miss, it was Leon <laughs> that did it. And in my mind, I said, miss, he did it on purpose. The thing is, I want to say that he did it by accident. But in the mind of a nine-year-old learning the language, accident and purpose are the same thing, just on different sides. So that miss, he did it by, he, he did it on purpose. And then the children were like, oh no, no, he did it. And by the time I said, no, no, no. So I meant he did it by accident. Nobody heard that part because I got drowned out by all the shouting and all of the, some people were like, ah, oh, you grasped it. And just like, I was like, how could you do that? I didn't know what the fuss was about. And then Leon said to me, hey, you. On our lunch break, we're going to fight. And then on our lunch break, Leon was bigger than me. So he got him in the headlock and he gave him like a good, a good beating, a good pummeling. And then I took the program of don't put your hand up in front of people. It gets you in trouble. So don't go in front of an audience and raise your hand. If you see a crowd, just keep yourself to yourself. So I learned that from that age. And there were also times in that journey when I was growing up in London, because I didn't see my parents now until I was for another 15 years, until I was 20. 24. So from the age of nine to 19, there were times when I, like as a young person, I felt suicidal. There were times when I did consider taking my own life as a young person. And I actually attempted it twice when I was growing up. Just because I just felt like so lonely, so by myself, so it's all dark. 
and it's bad. The world is bad and people are bad and life is bad. And I'm really thankful that that young person toughed it out and stuck with it. Um, because now I can look back at that stage of my life. I can see that it makes sense. Do you know how sometimes when you're experiencing something in life, it doesn't make sense. You wake up and it's still there. In the moment as well. It's hard yeah. to just get that clarity and see things. It's from. raw. It's just literally thinking to yourself, how on earth am I here? It shouldn't be like this. This isn't what life should be like. But in hindsight, it makes perfect sense. You can see why you do what you do and you can see why that experience was necessary for you to get to where you got to today. So thankful to that young, that young man, that young boy for sticking it out. So that's how it started. That's how the journey on what I do today with both my businesses, that's how it started. Your sister was around you at that point in time and though your parents weren't here. Did you feel like you couldn't speak to her? She wouldn't understand or she was going through her own assimilation, shall I call it, into the system as well? Uh, so I've got four sisters. So we I've lived with my elder sister and brother-in-law. And also I came to the UK with my other sister, my second sister. So we were living with her. So I had to deal with this for myself because when I, at growing up, I, it was very much like they're to blame. It's their fault. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. And in hindsight, being able to recognize that they had their own stuff to deal with. So now all of a sudden, this young person or my sister or in her twenties at the time was now instantly a mother. She's got to look after this nine-year-old. And I didn't come with any kind of, um, instruction manual. So she was trying to work it out herself. Like she was trying to do what she could do. And plus working as well, then having, having the children, looking after herself and her life. So there was, it was just challenging. Just in the mind of a young person, my mind at that time, it was just, I just felt alone. I felt that I couldn't communicate with her or communicate with people around me. Then I drew an upbringing. Also being the only boy out of five children, my parents said to her, look, listen, make sure he doesn't go off the rails. Make sure, like they say, he doesn't join any kind of bad gangs. Like there's any kind of good gangs that you join. So there was that. So she tried her best and it was just super strict. So for me, it was just like super strict. And that just kind of culminated in me thinking I was lonely by myself and I was the outsider. Yeah. Everything you're saying, I resonate with so much. And then when I, when I came to the UK at 11, and going through that experience of navigating the system, being a teenager, two completely different cultures in the way that you talk to people, even the, even the basics, like same people like calling adults by their first name and different things like that and trying to get used to that one. I was like, that's a badness for me. I was like, what? You're supposed to respect your elders. What are you saying their first name for? So things like that, that you have to learn while Didn't through your hormones. And as you talked about, you're navigating, not just bullying, you're navigating racism as well. At that same time, you're navigating those internal thoughts. How did you, I guess, turn around that anger that was building up inside of you and turn it into something that ended up being what you do now? But how do you turn that anger around in the first place that you must have felt? Yeah, a great question. Even before I answer that question, I I remember when I came to the UK, I'm not quite sure where in London I was, but I remember being on a bus and this mother was trying to control her boy, like her child. And the boy turns to his mom and was like, shut up, mom. And I'm sat there thinking, oh, you are dead. Right. I'm going to just sit here <laughs> on a bus and I want to say, yep, he deserved it because he told his mom to shut up. Yeah. 
And I just sat there fully expecting just the onslaught and just the complete finishing of this young boy. And then I remember mom turning to him and saying, oh, don't say that, son. It's all right. And I'll fuck myself. Whoa. What? Did I just witness? I was just there thinking, what? Am I, like, where am I? Is this like some kind of dream? So it was that culture shock of things were different to Nigeria. I had to just say that because I still remember that. I still remember thinking to myself, right, this young boy is now finished. We're going to basically be witnessing him just getting taken off this planet by his mother. And that wasn't what happened. She actually apologized. I thought to myself, wow. Oh, this is a whole different world, bro. <laughs> Why did she change her tone? Yeah. So what happened? Different things happened to allow me to say, to use this word of waking up. So different things happened to allow me to shift my perspective and to just see stuff differently. One of the first ones was getting a bill. So I went to university being... Yoruba Nigerian parents wanted a doctor, lawyer, engineer, or pilot. So I picked engineering as the easiest route to make them happy, right? And I did it for a year and I didn't really enjoy going to university at that stage. There were many days when I remember my first year of uni, I was late for every lecture apart from maybe one lecture in that year. And it got to a point where I was an hour and a half late for a two hour exam. And I kind of figured, nah, I'm probably not into this right now. This is probably, this is, I don't know, you're not being serious right now, are you? I'm like, no, nah, I'm not actually. And then after all of that, for the pleasure of doing all of that, not being focused, they gave me a bill. I remember it, it was 1,025 pounds. You know, like those old tuition fee. Yeah. 1,025. Yeah. So I got the, I got the letter and at the time, my parents weren't going to pay. They couldn't pay because they live in Nigeria. They've, they've got to deal with their own stuff. My sister's got her own commitments. The local education authority weren't going to pay it for me. So it was that to me to pay it. But I'm 19. I'm thinking, what do you mean? I've got to pay a thousand pounds? Me? And in today's terms, that's probably like giving a 19-year-old, like say 10K to pay off. That's quite a bit of money. And that prompted me to literally snap out of it. I thought to myself, right. If I don't pay this, the consequence is clear. They'll probably take me to court or something. I don't want that. I'm like 19. So I found myself in cells. So I was applying for these different roles. Do you know when they used, when they used to put adverts in the evening standards on a Tuesday, like a job role? So I applied for one of these roles and I got a phone call. Say, hey, look, listen, we saw your CV. We want to have a chat with you. I was actually asleep when I got the call, but I put my awake voice like yes all right yes yes <laughs> <laughs> so I put, in the, I put in the awake voice and I winged it I said you know we like some of the things you're saying come in and interview with us so this is my first proper interview professional interview not retail I used to work at Next for like a few months this is proper work and I went in there put on my best blazer and I walked in and they liked me in the first interview and they said come back for a second interview it's like okay great Second interview, said what I said, and they said to me, look, look, listen, actually, you don't have any sales experience because I worked in Next and they gave me a badge saying sales assistant. So I thought that meant I could sell. They said, look, you've got no sales experience, but we love your hunger and your passion. You seem really focused and determined. You're clear on what you want. So like, we like you. And in the end, they gave me the role. And that just took me on a journey of growth. There was this shy 19-year-old I was the youngest person on our floor. From what I remember, I was the only black person on our floor. And I was in an office with people who were posh, from different areas, different backgrounds. And I just didn't care. I was like, I've got to pay this tuition fee. They're coming after me. So let's go. 
And then they told me how the role operated. They said, listen, we'll organize these things called conferences and events. And what you do is you call people, we'll give you a phone book and list people to call, and you tell them about our conference and about our event, and then we'll pay you a commission for doing that. And I thought it was the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard before in my life. Ludicrous. I was like, what? Do I need a degree? Like, no degree. Do I need the kind of qualifications? No. So you organize the event? Yes. You give me the resources to call people? Yes. And I called them and you give me money for doing that? Like, yes. I was like, give me that phone. <laughs> give me the phone book. I'll call everyone. <laughs> people will find out about this thing because I've got this bill to pay. And this shy person, this shy 19-year-old now was meeting new people on every single call. So I had to deal with my thoughts about what if they hang up on me? What if they tell me to go away? What if they don't like my surname? Because I went into the industry and, and I used my English name, Jonathan. And I was also part of my growth because now I'm like, look, it's Ademola. But I had to go through that journey of growth and knowing who I am and being solid in myself. So I was meeting a new person on every single call. Do you know that's the best cure for shyness? Because I'm having to deal with myself. I'm having to be uncomfortable. And I'm now able to see shop with that. By being uncomfortable, it made me money. Couldn't believe it. They didn't teach me this at school. That you can make money by being determined, by getting past your fears, and by just going for it. I was like, wow. And I used to put quotes around me at my desk that would kind of, like, I'd say, motivate me at the time. And I still do that till today. <laughs> do you really trust your head around you then? Uh, just things like um, fortune favors the brave. I actually found them a few months ago. Just things like, if you want to be successful, this is what it takes. That the road to success sometimes is challenging. You haven't got room for being shy. You don't have room for that. There's too much at stake. All those little things. And I'd write things about what I was doing at the time. So I'd write like a, you can call it a journal, but I didn't call it a journal at the time. I'd write out, so this is my event. This is what I get if I deliver numbers. This is why I need to deliver numbers. So make phone calls. So anytime I felt what I would now call imposter syndrome or a sense of rejection, I would just look at why I'm doing what I'm doing and just get back on with it. So that's when it started. If I fast forward really further down that I began a journey of, of self-development properly, I'd always done it because I started to read books. I then became a manager, I went from being like a sales executive to being a senior sales, sales manager. And that prompted me to start to read books. And I started to read the One Minute Manager series by Ken Blanchard. And that really woke me up. It really got me to see that there's knowledge out there and I can learn from people. I don't need to repeat the same mistake as they've done. I can learn from their mistakes. So I can learn from their advice. But 2014 is when I really took on this whole thing about self-development. I did um, a course with a company called Landmark. And I went, went to it more purely for me. A colleague I used to work with said, Look, listen, dude, there's this course that I think you'd love because of how you think. And I said, okay, what did you get from the course? This guy's name was Joe. I said, what did you get from the course, Joe? And he was like, look, listen, um, it was so profound that I was able to tell my mum that I love her. And now I tell my stepdad that I love him. That's what he said. And I was thinking, huh, you got that from a course? And I was thinking, how does that mean that you are now even louder than normal on a Monday morning? Like Joe was loud anyway. His voice like really carries across the sales floor. But now if I like another level of loudness, I'm thinking, whoa, Joe, keep the noise down. I'll start, I'll start like right behind you. There was something about how he spoke. And he said, they've got a free session tomorrow night. Come along to it. And I was like, Tuesday is gym night. Nah, I'm not interested. But in the end, I went along to it. And it was profound. It was powerful. 
And it was that journey of development. I then went along and I became what they'll call as an introduction leader there. I was the most effective introduction leader in Europe out of three, 400 people that they had at the time. And I saw how quickly I grew doing something that I completely loved. And I saw that I've got this real connection and this passion and love for people. And I, I can see the fundamental things that allows people to grow and develop. And I use that for myself in my life. It allowed me to sort out things with my finances, to sort things out with my parents. I saw that I've been holding a grudge with them, against them, for not being there for me when I was growing up. And I carried all this blame, blamed my sister, I blamed everybody. Everyone was to blame, even on an unconscious level. And that program allowed me to deal with all of those things. And then I went along to another level where I was leading what they would call as a program on self-expression and leadership. And I just looked at it because for me, life is about purpose. The move, the motion of life is forward. The motion of life is forwards. And if you move a life forward with, with purpose, things, for, things are fulfilling. Things might not be comfortable initially, but they're fulfilling. And I just saw there was time to move on to the next level in terms of my development and my growth. So after that journey, set up um, fully with what we do now with Get Hedge and what we do at 1000 Black Boys. Before we even jump into Get Hedge and 1000 Black Boys, there's a couple of things you mentioned on that, on that journey. The willingness to be able to face being out of your comfort zone and being uncomfortable and getting in the phone because you had bills to pay. That was one. But then even then that next level of you going along to that landmark event that night where you had Jip, those two things for me really, really stood out because there's still a, there's a, there are a lot of people who they got bills to pay. They got debtors knocking at their door and they don't approach things or attack things the way you do because it's like, right, go on the phone, talk to people. They're going to hang up with me. And you get lost in that sense of fear or even going on that landmark journey. like, I don't go to no weird, strange place where they're going to start talking about their feelings and all that. What's I got to do with me? I'd go gym and enjoy myself. So there was a willingness for you to, to consistently step outside of your norm. Where did that come from? Because you said your self-development journey started in theory at that point down the road. But where did that sense of you being willing to step into the unknown come from? You know, I'd, I'd say without realizing, it started from a young age. If I was to answer it right now, what I can think about right now in this moment was um, even coming to London, being able to go into the sales industry. I, that's, I'd say that's where probably a key point, that, that'd be a key point, that point too. Inherently, it was always there. But that pain of the thousand pounds or one zero two five that pain and the consequence that depending consequence allowed me to just deal with it to just press forward so that's literally where it started and one of the things i've been thinking about because we're doing one of our free sessions tomorrow with get head and what i want to talk about is and what i've learned as well shockware is that you have to reconcile yourself with that there will be pain you want to do something new you want to take on your business you want to launch your business you want to write the book. You want to be in that relationship. You want to progress in that career. Wherever it is that you want, wherever it is for you that you call your goal, your dream, you have to just be okay with. There's going to be pain. You can't choose whether or not that there'll be pain, but you can choose whether the pain is on the front end or the back end. But there will be pain. So if you choose pain on the back end, it means that you're comfortable now. 
So you are okay, you're surviving, you're keeping your head down, but what you really want, you're not doing it. You're going to start that business next year. You're going to take that action next year. But then that pain will be a pain of regret. That'd be pretty heavy. I'd always consider that'd be a really heavy pain to have and a really heavy burden to have. And I don't really want to have that. I don't want that burden. So now it gives me the pain of action. So I take the steps. Back in the days, I get on the phone up and I'm calling these companies and saying, we don't like unsolicited sales calls. Stop calling us. And then you go, got to think, okay, okay. So that's what they said. But let me not let that affect my feelings because I've got this thing to deal with. Let me call this other person. And this other person doesn't care about what happened to me in the previous call. So I've got to be present with this person right now. And from then, I, I, I discovered this thing around... I call it responsibility. So cause and effect. I remember there was one Friday in particular when I was still working in sales. When I first started working in sales. We were in our office in Chelsea and I just smashed it. I just smashed the role, put lots of money on the board. And there was one person in particular that I called. I think they must have given us like quite a nice chunky uh, amount of revenue. And I closed that sale. I remember being sat on our sales floor. Most people had left the office and I sat there about 6.30 p.m. on a Friday evening. They'd gone to the pub next door. I remember thinking to myself, hold on a minute, I wouldn't be experiencing this right now if I had not called this person two weeks ago. And remember, Ademola, before you called this person two weeks ago, you had this concern around, can you engage this person? Will he listen to you? Will he hang up the phone on you? But you got past that and you called him anyway. And two weeks later, you put all this money on the board. And I thought to myself, what's that thing? Like, what am I experiencing right now? How did I get here? How did I get past that conversation with myself before I pick up the phone? Mm. And it just left me with this sense of you can make things happen. You can shape things how you want them to go, but you need to act. But there's something that comes against you before you act. What's that thing? And I couldn't quite explain it at at the time. So that journey of self-development was always there. I just didn't quite know how to articulate it or how to express it. I hope that kind of answers your question, but that's where I learned it from. But what I'm just really clear on is now for myself and people that I coach and I work with, whether it's a private client or business people or the boys that we work with at 1000 Black Boys, I'm clear. There will be pain. Just be reconciled with that. Don't try and avoid it. If you pick pain on the front end, good. You'll have fulfillment and satisfaction on the back end. It will bring you joy ultimately. If you defer the pain to the back end, you'll be comfortable now but there's the pain of regret on the back end. So you choose. Wow. You're going to have pain regardless, but you decide what, how you want, how you want that pain to come through to you at the front and the back end. I, I love that analogy. And I guess there's one point I want to make before we jump into, into Get Head Your Founders. You mentioned how you went through a process of healing. You used to blame everyone else very, very easily, but going through Landmark helps you go through a process of healing with your parents, your family, and all that kind of stuff. But before you got there, you were still successful. You were still rising through the ranks in, in that sales organization, even though you had all that going on around you from an emotional perspective. And I guess I wanted to ask, how does someone begin to reconcile that I've got pain and things I need to deal with, even though outwardly it might seem like that person's successful, because we see that repeatedly time and time again. 
And even last year, particularly where a lot of people were forced to slow down and they no longer had the noise of either as their work, the clubs, whatever vices they were using to hide that pain. It came out and it came out a really visceral way for a number of people. So how do people not get to a pandemic of that position, but start to recognize that there is some inner work to be done, even though they might be outwardly successful? It's a really great question you asked. The best way I'd answer that is if you are having repeat cycles and patterns in an area of your life, there's work to do. So you might be successful in this particular role, like I was within literally from sales exec to sales director. My team were delivering numbers. We're really smashing it. But there would be, being shared really vulnerable, there'll be challenges that I would have with like managing money, for example. Like I make lots of it and, and then it's gone. Like, where did it go? Okay, cool. I'll go make more money. So seeing that cycle and that pattern, if you're somebody, somebody who's like that, that's got to be like a wake-up sign. If you're somebody who, okay, cool, so you're good with making money and investing in it and making money, but your relationships, you always seem to find the same jerk in every relationship or you find the same idiot in every relationship. Pardon me using those words. But you've got to look at yourself and say, oh, look, look, listen, I've been in five different relationships and I seem to always find the same person. It's a different face, different voice, but they say the same stupid things. You don't have to start to look at yourself because you are the common denominator in all of those relationships. You are the common denominator in all the areas of your life. So you've got to look at things in your life that's not working, things that you are stopped with. And when you see that, that's an indicator that you need to go to work. And if you defer that work, there will be pain. If you defer it, it's just that there'll be pain on the back end. So that's what I'd say. So if somebody's seeing that, they're seeing cycles or patterns with different things in their lives, then that's a, that's just should be like an alarm bell. And then what I'd say to people at that point, it's simply this, be really straight up, get a coach, just straight up, get a coach. And that's coming from somebody who, when I first launched my business, I didn't want any coaches or mentors around me because I wanted to do it all by myself so that when I became successful, I could say, yeah, I did it all by myself. Look at me. Nobody helped me. Look how good I am. So I had to deal with that as well because that came from the upbringing and from growing up around people that would always tell me what to do. They would always tell me what to do and I took that as criticism. So I did want to expose myself to criticism in business. What are you talking about? Have somebody coach me and tell me what to do? So I had to deal with that. So I'd say if somebody's having the repeat patterns and cycles in a particular area of their life and you can see it, that's alarm bell. Get a coach. And where also needed, get a coach and mentors. They play slightly different roles, but get both of them. That's what I say to people. So good words of advice. And I guess it naturally flows into what you do now with, with Get Hench and a thousand black boys. So I know people, a lot of people are thinking like, why Get Hench? Why is it called Get Hench? <laughs> <laughs> and also just something I've remembered about your last question is that, um, all sizing with what we do at Get Hench is you could be doing something and you're successful at it, but you're not fulfilled. That's alarm bell. That's a massive, that, that those are alarm bells. So in the, my previous role, did very, very well. This company, we smashed it in my last role. We grew a startup really quickly. I took the team from doing just over 400,000 pounds, like when I joined. By the time I left, they did like, well, we finished on, say, 2.1 million pounds in that year. Like a total of nearly like five, I feel like 4.5 million in two and a half years of working in that role, just from my team alone. So the success was there. 
I say success, quote unquote success was there. But there were many days shopping when I'd literally walk towards the door, about to open the door to our office onto a floor that I'm well respected. I had to just turn up each month. My team would literally smash it for me. We'd do really, really well. I had this dull ache in the pit of my stomach. And I just knew that there's more, there's more than this. Adam, there's more to you than this, right? And you're not utilizing your potential. And there was that emptiness that I, that I felt and I experienced on many days. So I say to people, if that emptiness is there for you, then you've got to go to work. That's your body's, your mind, your life's inbuilt sat-nav. And it's saying to you, you're going in the wrong direction. Yeah, so that's why I'd say that'd be another example and telltale sign that you need some work. You need to kind of work on yourself here, which is what we do at Get Hench. So the name Get Hench, I actually got in business with um, somebody like initially when we launched Get Hench, it was a fitness company. It was a fitness clothing brand initially. And in all my journey, when I was growing and doing my work of self-development, being coached and getting people around me, I was really clear that I've got this passion for people and this passion for inspiring people and lighting people up like, like this was always there. I was always the one in my family, whenever there was an argument, I'd get people together and we'd talk. Even those that were older than me, I'd bring them together. We'd have the uncomfortable conversation, but stuff would get dealt with. So that passion was always there. And then there was this fitness clothing company. And I thought in my mind that there were separate entities. And as I grew and I developed myself, I saw that actually they're one and the same. Because the vision is the same. It's about people being lit up about life. People having the boldness and courage and audacity to live a life true to their dreams. That it's all one and the same. And it's just down to how we structured it. And so that's where the name came from. From our fitness past. And for us right now, even then, um, the word hench and get hench meant more than just biceps and six packs. It's literally how you build and develop the most powerful part of you as a human, as a person. So you develop your brain and your mind. That's powerful because your mind is literally everywhere in your life. Everything you look at, you filter it through your mind. Every relationship, how you handle success, how you handle quote unquote failure, how you handle relationships, how you handle criticism, how you handle praise, all of this stuff, your mind is there. So for us, get henches, develop that. Like develop that thing which is relevant to every area of your life, which is a necessity to all the aspects of your life. So when we say get hedge, we're talking about that. And that impacts your fitness, impacts your business, impacts your finances, impacts your relationships, impacts how you engage with other people, those that you get along with, those that you don't get along with. So that's what we mean when we say get hedge. And that's where the name came from. So it's like a 360 view of who you are as a person, which is starting from the internal, i.e. your mind that you can't necessarily see, but that's where the work starts. And then you build out from the internal to the external. Exactly. And for us, when we talk about, because I looked at this and I, I looked at my essence and I looked at what have I learned on my journey? And I am clear that for every person, there's at least four levels to us, but there's four parts to us, every person, that there is the part where there's our physical body. Because we've got our physical body. Yeah, you've got to look after that. Otherwise, you won't be here, right? And then I'd say, I call it, call it the soul, but it's like our emotions, how we deal with past breakups, how we dealt with growing up, 
it leaves an emotional scar. So there's that part of us that we call that our soul. And then there is your mind. Your mind is there, right? We discussed that. So your mind is there and then there's your spirit. So for us, all four things are present. And if you have all four working in tandem in line with what you want, that is you moving in line with what we say, get heads. We call that being your awesome. When you're doing that, you're being your awesome because you can flow and move fully in line with what you want and all parts of you aligned. Being your awesome. Wow. Yes. What a statement. That's a, that's a very powerful statement of how, in fact, I need to ask the question, how do I be my awesome then? Because you kind of just drop that statement like, be your awesome, like, how people want you that? How do I be my awesome? How you be your awesome? Do you know, it's what you're doing right now. I'm sure for you, with what you're doing with the, with the podcast, people that you're coaching, you're doing things that are not necessarily always comfortable, mm-hmm. but you know I've got to get it done. Yeah. And then on the back end of that, once you've done this thing, there is this release of power, this release of like, wow, that's amazing. This is release of energy. So that is you being your awesome. And for you to get to that place, you have to deal with your physical mind. You have to deal with your physical body. You have to deal with your emotions. And your spirit had to be engaged for you to go through what you went through to deliver your outcome. So that's how you be your awesome. And for anybody who's listening to this, if you've got a dream, uh, maybe in the UK or wherever, people might normally think, oh, our dreams is for like babies and daydreaming and all of that stuff. It's not. Every single person has this thing that they're completely passionate about, that they love, that if the concerns of life was not an issue, this is what they would be doing. They've been doing this thing. You got to go for it. And going for that thing that you see there, that's being your awesome. In order to go for that thing that you see there that you really want, you've got to deal with your body, your soul, your mind, and your spirit to move in line with what you want. That's being your awesome. Do you see purpose and passion as the same thing? No. They're connected, but not, but not the same thing. Let's have a look. Because how I normally explain, let me see how I put passion in. I'd explain it like this. So purpose, goals, potential. I see where passion drops in. But imagine that you're in a car. You're going somewhere. Your car is your potential. So your potential, you need to put fuel in the car. Otherwise, the car doesn't run. The fuel, that's your goals. So you're putting your goals into your car and your car's running. Now, purpose is where are you going to? So your, that's like your destination is, your purpose is where are you going to? So your destination that you're driving towards in your car with the fuel in it, that is purpose. So you're moving in line with where you really want to be. So that's how I would say purpose, destination, potential, your car, fuel is your goals that go into the car. And passion could just be how well, how quickly, how intently you're driving the car. That can be passion. That passion is useful. Like you need passion. And because you can have passion, but your passion is towards the wrong thing. Like you're driving passionately in the wrong direction. Um, you're driving with complete intent, but you're going to the wrong destination. So you need to turn that passion in your car with the fuel in your car towards the right destination, which is your purpose. That's how I'd explain it. It's a great, great analogy of, of breaking it down that way. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> So how does the Thousand Platt Boys fit into Get Hench and that aspect of what you just talked about, about being your awesome? Do you know what? 
Another great question, Shopware. Do you do this a lot? <laughs> this is what you did for a living. <laughs> Asking great questions. So do you know what? It, it ties in for me with purpose. One of the things that I do, and I do it with people that I work with, is I ask them to think about their 70th birthday. And I ask them, what would you like to have achieved? So you're there. For me, I'm sat there with my wife, my children, grandchildren. And they come, hey, granddad, what did you do with your life, granddad? And I'm able to really share vision with them and share the things that granddads and grandmom have accomplished. And they can see it. They can see the impact that, that it's made on their lives. And that's where 1000 Black Boys also positions and sits in alongside Get Hench. And the thing is, I couldn't even articulate this fully when I first launched the company. But I just knew, got to go this way. Because there are many days when I'm on the Victoria line, I've just finished work, I'm going home, and I open the Evening Standard, and I'd see, I remember this one, it was 2007, I saw the face of this young black boy in a school uniform whose life had just been taken. And who'd done it? Another young person, another young black person did it. I remember being on that train and I just felt like really cut. I felt like someone took a knife or cut me across my chest. And I just said to myself, you've got to make a difference here. Uh, you've got to do something about this. I felt this personal responsibility to make a difference. And so that was it. I was just like, I can't be around and this happened. And I just don't do anything. And I'm another observer. And I'm just another person who says, oh, I wish somebody would do something about this. This is really bad. The government should sort this problem out. I'm like, nope. I feel the burden, I see responsibility, so let's go. And later on in 2018, so I kept on putting it off. So for people that put stuff up, I was a master procrastinator. I kept on putting off this idea, this vision. I was like, yeah, we'll do it at some point, someday in the future. And it got to October 2018. I got a phone call on a Thursday evening, by 11 p.m. on a Thursday evening. My sister calls my phone. I answer, like, oh, you're calling me. Like, what's, what's going on, sis? She's like, are you sat down? <laughs> So I'm like, what's happened? So I sit down, I'm thinking, what's she going to tell me now? What's happened? And she tells me that my, um, like your nephew's been getting bullied at school and my blood starts to boil. It's kind of like starts to kind of go up. Just trying to keep calm, but it's kind of temperatures like rising. And she said, there's this boy in his class who said to him that he's going to die. This boy threatened him in his class. The temperature's now starting to really overflow. And what happened today at school is the boy was chasing him after school and he had to hide in the shop to get home. Now I'm just like, right, enough. And I was angry. And I was talking, I thought to myself, let me just calm myself down because being angry in this situation only makes things worse, right? Well, like, what am I going to do? We're going to go to the school and then we're going to beat the boy up or we're going to find these parents and beat them up. Like, what, is that what we're going to do? I was like, no, no, that doesn't do anything. So I just literally calm down. There's no point being angry or afraid or confused. And my training kicked in. Control your limbic system. Calm down. Be present. And think about how you can make a difference in this situation. And I started to now consider, what can I do here to make a difference? Because at the time, Shopper, my nephew was nine and the boy, the friend, it was 10. So it was a nine-year-old and a 10-year-old. They're talking about life-changing actions. And I thought to myself, Right, make a difference here. We approached the school and I offered to speak with the boy and his family. I said, let's talk. Let's find out what's going on. And I thought to myself, what was, what's going on for him at, at home that he comes to school and well, that's what he says? Like, what's going on at home that that's what he says at school to somebody else? I was looking at me. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's what really prompted me, literally, I said, you know what? That's what we're going to do with 1,000 black boys, that these kind of conversations don't happen anymore. That the young black boys, young black men are now creating things that inspire all of us, things that truly transform our world and society because they've got the creativity to do that. So let's make that a reality. Let's make that what happens. So, so that's when it started. That's when the thought really started to, to crystallize. And then it got to November of the same year, a guy that I used to work with, really great guy that I used to work with, they used to live in Hackney and his nephew used to go to school in South London, in, in Lewisham. And in his school, a similar thing happened. There was a big fight in his school and because he's a big boy, he defended himself and he got out of there. And I was just like, we were just talking like, what are we going to do about these young black boys, young black men? Like, what are we going to do to make a difference? I said, you know what? I've got this idea. I've got this project I'm looking to start. We're going to be doing this. We want to really come at it from like purpose and potential and power and make a real difference. We're not concerned about being angry and afraid and we ain't got time for that stuff. We want to really do proper stuff to make a real difference. And then he was saying to me, sounds really brilliant. Like, how can I get involved? We're talking. He's like, oh, what are you going to call it? I had no name because I hadn't thought about that. And literally, my mouth just opened. It was just like, we're going to call it 1,000 Black Boys. I was like, that's a really great name. I guess that's a good thing, isn't it? That's what we're going to call it. So that's literally where it started. We launched officially, because uh, I started to share the visual people on the 8th of December, 2018. So we've got our third year anniversary coming up soon. We did our first event, 23rd of March, 2019. I remember we did it in Croydon. And that's really where it started. So for us, if I can say, Get is like my commercial limited company and 1000 Black Boys is our social enterprise. And yeah, that's how they come together. That's how they link. What would your, what would you want to see happen with 1000 Black Boys? What impact would you want to see it change and, and shape things for the future of, of Black Boys in particular? Well, imagine that this young black boy who started this business in his bedroom, that his business is now so successful, it's now become the next unicorn of British business. And that this business now employs thousands and thousands of people all over the UK, all over the world. It's now a global business. That's exciting. That's the vision. Or imagine, what if these group of boys, they used to oppose each other um, from these different parts of, of where they live, have now set up a new type of social media that goes global and completely revolutionizes how we live life. That's exciting. That's our vision. And if I dial back a sec, so it's now that what we do isn't done by just me, but there's a team of young black boys, young black men coming through who are now taking the vision on. They are seeing things that I don't see. They're coming up with ideas. They're running it. And I'm just there to say, yep, that sounds like a good idea. I would just say, do you know what, guys? You guys have got it right now. Take this forward. So that's what I see. And that it impacts lives. And often, like I've got to say this part, is when that happens, everybody benefits. Because when, when we first launched, I had this person come at me on my, uh, on my LinkedIn. And this person, like I, I'll share this on honestly and vulnerably. person like, oh, you guys are racist. You don't like white people. Why is it? I said, dudes, don't even know our vision. Like when that happens, who benefits? Everybody benefits. Everyone gets it. Because people normally hear 1,000 black boys and they think that we hate people. Well, that's not what we're saying. We're just saying that this is, we're clear, this is our pathway to impact society. And who is in society? Everybody, right? 
Okay, great. So there you go. So, so there's your answer. When something is broken for all of us, we all feel it. When something's broken for young black boys, young black men, everybody feels it. Everyone gets it. Everybody's impacted. When, if, when people open that newspaper and they see another young face has been taken, it leaves a mark. It leaves a scar. It has an impact. Don't ignore it. Don't leave it for, it's just their problem. No, we're all impacted. So for us, it's really clear. When we do that, everyone benefits. And it's just now, when that happens, a different world is possible. Things are transformed. We're having different conversations. That's exciting. That's our vision. That's what we see. I think there's also something around, if you hear the title, A Thousand Black Boys, and your mind goes to, it's racist, you need to check yourself as well. Because that's your own biases coming through. You haven't asked any questions. You, you need a coach. If, <laughs> if that's who, you need a coach. Now, nah, but you just mentioned something there, how some of the boys who have come through so far are actually starting to then run things and have their own ideas and you've empowered them. And I'm just like, when you've given them that empowerment, what has that felt like for them? Because I'm sure they'll share the experiences with you. And bear in mind, these are boys coming from backgrounds where they haven't ever been empowered, where they've been told they are less than and they've been seen a particular way. And now you're actually been changing that in the way that you're approaching them and giving them that empowerment. So what's that been like for them? Great. So as you say that, I think about Moses, Pierre, Stephen, uh, Ezekiel, Niasha, who just done our program recently. So Moses, we empowered him to literally take on his card business. And he was a top boy on our first program in terms of how we engaged and how we just took things forward. And just as a thank you and just to reward him, we kept it as a surprise to the last session. We gave him a, a new laptop. Because a lot of the boys, they need support with things like that. So give him a new laptop. And he was just, he was like, mom, I'm gassed. He <laughs> was just like, because I was asking his mom for her feedback. She's like, yeah, he just can't, he's just literally, he's like, he's floating. Like now, like it's my son, but he's just, there's just like a different level of confidence with my son right now. He's just so excited about life. And it's just really taking stuff on. Like he's just really, just, he's just like so happy. So that's what he sees. And he recorded the video for us, a testimonial. And they're just very, very thankful that he's able to catch his thoughts and catch the things that stop him and he can press forward with his business. So that's like one feedback. And also another one, so Stephen on our, we finished our second program about three weeks ago and we were debriefing that, debriefing that, that program. And I, I was asking the boys, so what have you got from this program, this one compared to the first one, but this one specifically? And he said, I got that success doesn't come to you. You have to go to success. And he's 14. So a 14-year-old is saying that, I think that's pretty special. And he then said that this is the most prepared he's ever been for an exam. He was like, I've got an exam coming up on the 22nd of September. It's a math exam on Wednesday and I'm ready for it. This is the most prepared I've ever been for an exam. Like I started from all throughout August. Normally I leave it to the last minute. So those are kind of things that they say to us. They get their power. They get that. So I can do it. You know that realization. So I can, I can have this. That is gold dust, absolutely priceless. And what we also do, so Pierre, for example, boy in our first program, it's clear that this young person, he's a businessman. He's got a clothing brand at, at the age of 13. And after all of our coaching sessions, our group coaching sessions, he would stay behind like, Adamola, how can I grow my, my clothing business? How can I do branding? Ask me those kind of questions. And I ask him, well, what's your budget? I want to design a logo. My budget's 10 pounds. And it's straight face. It's got a budget of 10 pounds for a marketing and branding campaign. 
but he's clear that that's what he wants. So him getting inspired by that and he's thankful that he's able to grow and step forward. And what we also do with the boys who want to is bring them back to be speakers at our inspiration and empowerment events, which further reinforces that they can do it, that they are the ones to really make a difference and that they don't need to tolerate and stick with imposter syndrome. That's why I wanted to direct those, even those examples, just people can hear the impact it makes, especially on a young person's life. When you're seen as who you really are, not seen as something else or painted in a completely different picture, but you're seen as who you are. Like you said, you're talking about those who are 30 year old and you're already got a clothing business. You've got laptops that, right, I want to impress and do more with this. All of those different things make such a massive difference and they're so needed, especially at a time when you've got youth centers that are being closed left, right and center, and there's no real communities being created. There's programs like this that actually bring people together not only just to learn, but actually to network at a young age, because we know the power of the network as we get older. Exactly. So exactly. Feel that from now, it's the sky high. Do you know what? Even the boys do say that they love the fact of being in a the group. They can see what other people are doing and it just spurs them on as well. They can see how this person's thinking. And also some of the boys in our program, I've caught them out for lying about things that they've done. So we, we basically, after all of our sessions, we give them transformation work. We don't call it homework because it's not, we're about developing leaders. So we've got transformation work and some of them are basically told fibs about what they've done and they've been caught out. But now they're being essentially, in a good way, they're being essentially coached and dare I say, being coached in a very straight way in full view of everyone. Mm-hmm. Held accountable, right? Right. And they've got to be with that and they've got to discover, hey, look, listen, if you didn't do it, what was going on for you that you felt that it was okay to lie rather than just tell the truth and hold up to what you didn't do? What's that thing? What are you doing right now that you're trying to survive this conversation? What's that thing? It's the same thing that didn't have you do the work. So this is the thing that you've got to master, otherwise it will sabotage you. So we go through that with them. And it's really powerful. And what I also say is with our program, we tell the boys that this is not a classroom. I'm not a teacher. You are on a leadership development program. So we're going to talk to you as a leader. And you see them just light up. Like, really? Yeah. So you'll be held accountable as a leader. You'll be coached and developed as a leader. And they rise to it. They rise to it. It's a really key thing I'd love to work with more schools on and maybe teachers on. Because we've got plans of opening, I'd say, through Get Head. We want to open up academies for young people that they know the young people grow in your listening, what you view them as, what you carry them as in your speaking, they rise, they either rise to that or shrink to it. Powerful. So that's what we do with them. I had Ether Pond on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. So ex-football player, does a lot of stuff. She was a teacher and she's talking about something very, very similar that she does something with her ESP foundation where it's around helping kids navigate either it's education, sports, or politics. And basically it's about empowering them, seeing them differently, celebrating them, not just academic success, but celebrating them and also tap it into who they are. That the more teachers can understand what communities these kids are coming from and what they've had to navigate that morning, the more teachers can know how to handle them better rather than just paint them as bad breed. So there were so many messages of what you were just saying and what she said. I'm like, you know what, you two need to get together and have a conversation. So I'm going to make that intro afterwards. 
guess my last question is how do you define leadership? Mm. I'd say move in purpose fully, carry others along with you and ignite others as you move fully towards purpose. So you're doing what you are, what you're passionate about and why to what you're created to do. You're doing that fully. And as you're doing that, you're taking others along with you. Along the way, you're inspiring others so they can go and do what they're here to do. That's how I'd describe it. And also, as you're going on that journey, recognize that you need people around you to support you, people that coach you. Because you, me, I've got my own stuff. I've got my blind spots. And having coaches and mentors that can say, hey, look, listen, that's not what we're asking of you right now. Having that accountability for myself, it's necessary for leadership. That you are an example of what you are providing to the world. It's mm, a great one. I really like that. Seeps into that authenticity of being an example of what you provide to the world. Yes. Thank you. I want to say thank you for sharing your story, your journey. Just being able to connect the dots from when you were young to where you are right now and what you do right now has been absolutely amazing. Also actually highlights how much what we go through from a young age actually impacts us mm-hmm. in the way that we show up in the world when we're a lot older. And the work that Get Hench is doing through the coaching self-development, the fitness, both internal and external fitness. And then you got a thousand black boys, which is an amazing um, social enterprise that people can support and get behind because it's so needed in this day and age. It's always an absolute pleasure to talk to people like you who are, who are making amazing things happen. And for me, that's what Everyday Leadership's about. <laughs> making amazing things happen and that's what you're doing. So thank you very much for your work. Yeah, do you know what? Thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to, to share our vision. I know we've been trying to do this for a while. Lots of things were going on with our, we're doing like a rebrand, we do our website. So it's great to finally do this and to be able to share our vision with you and with the world. So thank you for having me. Thank you for having us. And like we always say, be your awesome. What are the ways that, just to end it right there, all the notes, all the website links, Twitter, social media handles, all that kind of stuff around Get Hedge and the Thousand Black Boys will be available in the show notes so people can tap into more of what Ademola is doing. This is Everyday Leadership. I will see you next week. Mm-hmm.